Moses' position and specifically upon Aaron's position as the high priest. And so what God is doing did last week in chapter 17 uh, in causing Aaron's rod to bud and to bloom and bring forth fruit. He's showing, no, my choice is Aaron, the descendants of Aaron, to be the priests and the high priests uh, of my people. And he kind of continues that whole line of things tonight in chapter 18 where he's laid all of this out before in the law, but everybody didn't kind of pass the class. <laughs> you know, at least Korah didn't. And so he's going to, following that rebellion, he's putting it down. Now he's going to reestablish the order that he wants to have among his people. And then the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear the iniquity related to the sanctuary. You're in charge of of the things related to the priests, and you and your sons, your descendants with you, shall bear the iniquity associated with your priesthood. The priesthood, uh, the performing of the priestly duties related to the sanctuary, these things belong to you. And they had a responsibility to make sure that God's word was obeyed in the worship of him. Uh, they were not uh, any... For, you know, future power play on the part of Levites or anyone, uh, they were to make a stand against that. This was their responsibility, and uh, and uh, and the fear of God was to cause them not to be pressured in any way to turn it over to anyone else. And also bring with your brethren of the tribe of Levi, and the Levites were brethren to Aaron and his sons. They're all from the tribe of, of Levi. Uh, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may be joined with you and serve you while you and your sons are with you before the tabernacle of witness. So he starts to talk about the role of the Levites. Some of them had kind of pushed beyond their roles. They wanted to be something more than what God had called them to be. He's reestablishing that the Levites are constitute kind of a, a religious labor force for the priests. Uh, the, the responsibilities of the priests were very, very physical. It was a very, very demanding call of God upon uh, their lives. These sacrifices and all the things that they were doing, and uh, they needed help with it. And so he said, here is, here is this labor force. This is the responsibility uh, of, of the Levites. And they shall attend to your needs and all the needs of the tabernacle, but they shall not come near the articles of the sanctuary uh, and the altar lest they die. They shouldn't get near the things that are given over to the priests, they and you also. In other words, if they try and take over your role or you allow them to, then there's going to be a kind of a, a, a very severe judgment related to that. And they shall be joined with you and attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting for all the work of the tabernacle, but an outsider, that is a non-priest, shall not come near you and you shall attend to the duties of the sanctuary and the duties of the altar that there may be no more wrath on the children of Israel so you know god god doesn't wake up in the morning he doesn't wake up in the morning but i mean if he did wake up in the morning he said oh man who can i fry today you know i mean which one of my kids are going to get out of line and maybe i can take out you know 17,000 plus of them today with a plague it, it broke his heart to judge the people as, and, and to remove this very dangerous influence from among his people. And so he's giving these perimeters so everyone understands what he wants here so he doesn't have to judge uh, any more rebels among 
the children of Israel. And behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. They are a gift to you, given by the Lord to do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And therefore you uh, and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I give your, your priesthood to you as a gift for service, but the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So you're the priest. Don't be afraid to be the priest. I give you the Levites to help you as a gift in, in what I've called you to do. And the Lord spoke to Aaron. And it's one of just a couple places where the Lord speaks directly to Aaron and not to Aaron through Moses. So the Lord speaks to Aaron uh, here and he says, Here, I myself have also given you charge of my heave offerings, all the holy gifts of the children of Israel. I have given them as a portion to you and your sons as an ordinance uh, forever. Now what's kind of going on here is the Lord is going to establish uh, a means of physical support for the priests and also for the Levites. When they go in and they conquer the promised land ultimately under Joshua, the different tribes each are allotted a particular part of the promised land. So they can raise cattle, uh, they can raise lambs and livestock, they can also uh, raise crops in order to supply for their sustenance. They can build houses, all these kinds of things. The Levites were not allotted a portion in the land. And there's a reason for that that God is going to get to in a moment. He's going to tell them, I am your inheritance. I am your portion. He wanted their full focus to be upon the spiritual side of the nation, knowing that you can raise as many herds as you want and have as much food as you want. But if the nation uh, goes sideways spiritually, uh, then you know, you're going to lose all of that. That's what the Bible says. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said, and his righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. They'll take care of, be taken care of if we keep think first things first. And first things first are uh, the things of God in our lives. And so they didn't have a place, a plot of land to be sustained. So how are they going to eat? How are they going? They're called by God to give their full days to the service of him. Uh, but... What are they going to feed their kids? What are they going to eat themselves? And so the Lord is now going to establish the means by which he is going to support the priests and the Levites. And he is going, uh, so this is what he's uh, kind of laying out uh, here to them to meet their, their physical needs. And so he said uh, again in verse 8, Here I myself, this is God doing it, I've given you charge of my heave offerings, all the holy gifts of the children of Israel. I've given them as a portion to you and to your sons as an ordinance uh, forever. And this shall be yours for the most holy things reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, every grain offering, every sin offering, every trespass offering, which they render to me shall be most holy for you and your sons. In a most holy place you shall eat it, every male shall eat it, it shall be holy to you. So in most of the offerings that were brought to God by the people, uh, a portion of them were burnt on the altar and that represented kind of God eating that part of, of the sacrifice. So he was fellowshipping with his people. And then the, what, what didn't get burned in the offering, God said, the whole animal was given to me. 
I've taken my part of it. I can do whatever I want with the remaining part. And what I want with the remaining part is I want it to be given to my servants who are serving at the tabernacle and, and, and in the spiritual kind of position in the nation. And so that's what he's telling them to do. These first offerings, as he talks about uh, the grain offering and sin offering, trespass offering, these things, uh, they were reserved only for the priests. Only Aaron, only the high priest and the other priests could eat it, and only in, you know, kind of the uh, precincts of the tabernacle. Uh, well, what about the kiddos? What about the wives and, and all? He goes on and he uh, describes how he's going to supply for them. This also is yours. The heave offering, which was one of the offerings that the children of Israel would bring to the Lord of their gift, with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel, I have given them to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. And so these are all offerings we've looked at in the past in terms of their significance. And God said, now these offerings... You can take these home and you can feed your family, uh, families with it. Um, you're talking about, you know, two to three million um, uh, people, talking about uh, probably somewhere in the vicinity of about 600,000 homes or families among the children of Israel. That would have been an, a lot of offerings that would have been being offered up to the Lord plenty to supply the needs uh, of, of the priests. But it doesn't just stop there. All of the best of the oil, that was something that the people would bring to the Lord. And this was to be given over to the priests for their use. And the best of the new wine and the grain, their first fruits, which they offer to the Lord, I've given them to you. They're mine to give, I give them to you. And whatever first ripe fruit is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, that shall be yours. Everyone who is in clean in your house may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Everything that first opens the womb of all flesh, every firstborn of any animal or person that was to be dedicated to the Lord. And so uh, he's handing all of uh, these over to the priests for their use, with a couple of exceptions we'll, we'll see in a moment. So they bring these things to the Lord, whether man or beast, they shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall surely redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And so someone brings a, a donkey which they couldn't uh, offer as a sacrifice then that would be redeemed from money and because it couldn't be offered to the Lord and all people were redeemed by money here's a firstborn son they would bring dedicate him to the Lord but then for a sum of money as we'll see in just a moment he was that money would then be given in exchange for the son and then they would of course take the child home but what it symbolizes is they're dedicating their children this is my firstborn he belongs to the Lord and all and, and so and I, that's the consciousness that we want to have related to our children and all other children after him uh, or her. And, and so he didn't, God didn't want to rob them of that dedication. But he didn't want, uh, obviously he's not going to, they're not going to sacrifice children or anything like that. So he built a mechanism in by which they would redeem the children. And those redeemed of the devoted things, you shall redeem when they're one month old, according to your valuation, for five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. So that would be the price of redeeming 
unclean animals and the firstborn of man. But the firstborn of a cow, which is a clean animal, firstborn of a sheep, also clean, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood. In other words, they're to be sacrificed on the altar and burn their fat as an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. And their flesh shall be yours, what remains of their portion from the sacrifice, just as the wave breast and the right thigh are yours. All the heave offering of the holy things which the children of Israel offer to the Lord I have given to you and your sons and daughters with you as an ordinance forever. It is a covenant of salt before the Lord with you and your descendants. And so we talked about a covenant of salt. Salt was used as a preservative in those days. And so this spoke of the permanence of this agreement that God was making with uh, the uh, priests in order to provide for their physical needs as they uh, gave their lives for the spiritual needs of the nation. And then the Lord said to Aaron, and here's the reason for this kind of way of providing for the priests. He said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, the land of Canaan, when they once got in there, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. I, I, I don't want you... He loves all the rest of the tribes. He loves what they're going to be doing. They're called to do something different than the priests. He's saying, I want you fully and completely dedicated to me. I don't want you out, in, out there trying to earn a living in, in terms of working the fields and raising herds and that kind of a thing and then trying to do all of the work uh, in, uh, of being spiritual leaders in the nation and keeping up the tabernacle and the sacrifices and all of that. So the Lord's, uh, and because well, the Lord knows what would happen in that kind of a thing and it did happen in the, in the history of the children of Israel. What happens is is if you give someone like these priests and you say, uh, by the way, you've got to go out there and you've got to raise your own flocks, you've got to raise your own herds, you've got to put your food, uh, spend time from your, in your day and week and month and year putting food on the table for your family, and then on top of that, you need to do all these spiritual things that I'm, I'm calling you to, spiritual in, in the sense of, of, uh, of this nation. Uh, we all know what happens. Pretty soon, uh, so much time is being given into the physical, then the spiritual side of things or the spiritual calling gets neglected. And then when that gets neglected, then pretty soon there isn't a spiritual tone for the nation. And then the next thing you know, they're going into captivity, which is exactly what happened to them. So this was a way of saying to Aaron, I've, given, I've provided for you in every way so that you can eat, sleep, and drink the things of me. And, and being a spiritual influence for me among these people. I am your inheritance. There's no land for you. Now that's the best inheritance you can get, is, is to have the Lord as your inheritance. Then he said in verse 21, as he moves on to talk about now the physical provision for the Levites uh, in general, the non-priests, he said, Behold, I have given. So the, again, here are offerings that are going to be brought to the Lord when something is given to God uh, by his people. He views that as belonging to him now, and he can do whatever he wants with it. So they're going to bring tithes to him, and he's saying, here's what I want to have done with these tithes for the support of 
the children of Levi who are again committing their life to the physical side of, of the spiritual health of the nation. Behold, I have given the children of Israel, uh, uh, of Levi, all of the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return and payment for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. And so the children of Israel were, were required to tithe to the Lord, to give a tenth of uh, their increase to the Lord. And the Lord says, I want that tenth to go to the support of the Levites. I forget the uh, Levites. I, th- I forget, I think the Levites... Uh, numbered somewhere in 22,000, something like that. So we're talking a pretty good group of people. We're not talking about, uh, you know, 35 people that are, you know, living somewhere on the edge of, of the camp of Israel. But again, you've got the tithes coming in from 2 to 3 million people. Again, very uh, ample support uh, for them in the work of the Lord. And so... Hereafter the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, that among the children of Israel they may have no inheritance. And so it was the responsibility, just as God had spoken to the priests and said, you are responsible for what I'm giving to you. And you must not allow any pressure from among the people or the nations or anywhere else to compromise my commands on who does what. And so the Levites were under this kind of the same thing. Your Levites, certain things the Levites are called to do, you are not to budge on that and allow other people to come in. And, and you can't kind of uh, uh, subcontract this thing out. <laughs> You know, so you got to do this. Nobody else gets to do it. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Uh, Therefore, I have said to them, among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. So again, they had no position of land either. This was his way of providing. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak thus to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. So they have received this tithe of the people, which would have been, uh, again, substantial related to their support needed. They're a very large group of people. But then God said to these Levites, I want you to tithe from the tithe. And that tithe of the tithe, or that tenth, a tithe is a tenth, that tenth of the tenth they're going to give to the priests uh, for their support on top of kind of the food that is coming in, and, and the meat and grain and, and oil and all that's coming in to the priests. So they were, they were well fed, the priest family, but got to buy a robe once in a while too. So the, uh, part of the tithe was to go to them. In other words, God wanted everyone among his people to give toward his work and to give to him toward that work. And leaders were not excluded from that. Just because they were being supported by it did not move them from from having to be obedient in their giving to God also. Everyone, uh, the, the people and also these spiritual leaders, they were all to have a concern 
for the health of the larger whole and also to have a concern for the advancement of the kingdom of God and the things of God. One of the problems I think that you would get into in kind of a New Testament church situation is if you had leaders in a church that didn't tithe and they said, well, the people tithe, but we don't tithe. Well, that would reflect a a very dangerous uh, lack in the heart of a leader uh, for having a concern for the advancement of, of the kingdom and being uh, equally concerned for uh, you know, the, the material uh, provision for the work of the Lord. And so God says, no, everybody's on, on board on, on this. And uh, your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were uh, the grain of the threshing floor as the fullness of the wine press. In other words, God says, I look at this offering as if you had been out in the fields bringing in the harvest and bringing in, in the grapes. And thus you shall offer a heave offering to the Lord from, um, from all your tithes which you receive from the children of Israel. And you shall give the Lord's heave offering uh, from it to Aaron the priest. So here it is for the priests. Of all your gifts, you shall offer up every heave offering due to the Lord from all the best of them, the consecrated part of them. So this is good. But is God know people? Leader Schmieder, he knows leaders too. And, and so what he's basically saying here is when you get this tie that comes in from the people and you look and say wow look at the raisins that they brought in today you know or whatever it might be or the grapes or the grain and say wow we got to give a tenth of it to the priests let's find the junkiest wheat that came in today and uh, we'll get rid of the slop you know and we'll hold the best for ourselves he says don't do that he said when you tithe i want you to give the very best of what has come into you to the priests and uh, and so don't I mean he knows our flesh our carnality on this and uh, you give the best to them and then uh, uh, the the rest will take good care of you and therefore you shall say to them verse 30 when you have lifted up the best of it then the rest the 90 percent that is left shall be accounted to the Levites as the produce of the threshing floor and as the produce of the wine press. And so after tithing now the 90% that was left, that was now to provide for them and for their families. You may eat it in any place. You can eat it in the area of the tabernacle, not the tabernacle, but the grounds area, and, and, or in your households, you and your household, for it is your reward for your work in the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall bear no sin because of it when you have lifted up the best of it. He comes back to that. Now make sure you don't give them the junky 10%. When you've lifted up the best of it, but you shall not profane the holy gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die. And so, kind of a beautiful picture here is the Lord lays out not only his calling upon uh, these men for uh, doing the work and their families, this kind of special place among his people, but then for how he was going to provide for them. In the New Testament, and we won't, I'm not prepping you for an offering, by the way, but in the New Testament, uh, it is, sometimes I'll read different things or I'll hear different things, you know, in the sections of the body of Christ, and, and some groups have the idea that no one is to be supported full-time in Christian ministry, uh, that it's all 
called to be kind of um, lay, what they would call lay ministry, and uh, everyone just kind of operates that way, and, and nobody should be kind of earning a living off of a spiritual uh, service. Uh, in, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he seemed to have this very passage in mind when he wrote that God-appointed leaders in the church have a right to be supported by the church as much as is possible. And I'm not going to go into uh, all of it. He said, uh, for instance, he said, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? He said, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Who uh, ever goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? He said, No, am I just saying this because I'm a leader in the body of Christ? Or does not the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it trains out the, treads out the grain. It is, is it an oxen that God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. This is written that he who plows should plow in hope and he who threshes in hope should be the partaker of this hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? He said, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat the holy things of the temple? Those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar, speaking of this passage. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Galatians chapter 6 verse 6, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verses 17 and 18, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, and this is talking about support, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And so basically you have the same concern in the New Testament that God has in the Old Testament and that is if he has called someone to do uh, spend all of their time involved in spiritual work and it's all spiritual work you know what I'm saying everything we do in every classroom that you work in and every business place and all the things that we do is is spiritual but when he calls them to to do you know this kind of thing like what like what a pastor would do in a in a typical church He's saying that if that person isn't supported when there is the ability to support it and now the church is being run uh, unnecessarily on the leftovers of what's left in a day, then that can really harm the effectiveness of, of the church and the kingdom of God in the world. And so it's a, it's a New Testament uh, principle that God lays out as well as an Old Testament one. Chapter 19. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish in which there is no defect and on which a yoke has never come. And you shall give it to Eleazar the priest that he shall take it outside the camp and it shall be slaughtered before him or under his supervision. Now this uh, is an interesting chapter uh, and it's instruction by the Lord to the children of Israel uh, concerning the ashes of the red heifer. Now I don't know how many of you have uh, ever 
you know, heard about the ashes of the red heifer. If you're on any kind of like end times newsletter or uh, something like that, or you go to these online sites, and one of the things they talk about a lot is the search for the red heifer. They, so that they, if they can find a red heifer, which is a red cow, and uh, uh, because in order to fulfill this ordinance of God in Numbers chapter 19, because these ashes of the red heifer are needed in order to kind of inaugurate worship in a new rebuilt temple. So you'll hear about groups saying, you know, they're raising a red heifer in Texas. They're raising, they found a red heifer in, you know, uh, Israel or whatever, you know, and they're genetically trying to get a red heifer. This is what they're talking about. What the ordinance required was that any person who came into contact with a dead body became uh, unclean as a result of coming into contact with with a dead uh, body and and so they were to be ceremonially cleansed from this uncleanness by the sprinkling of of a living water uh, upon them and a living water that also contained the ashes of this uh, red heifer now one of the things that this whole rite i mean we'll I'm not going to spend a mountain of time uh, on it, but it is very interesting. You say, why in the world would he do this whole thing, the ashes of the red heifer, and you put it in the water and it's sprinkled on someone that's come in contact with a dead body and and all. What it was intended to remind the children of Israel uh, was that death is a defiling thing, that death in God's creation is an unnatural thing. It's an unintended thing. God never intended there to be death in his creation. So death is a defiling thing in the human condition. And it exists in the human condition because of sin. And not God didn't intend a single person to ever die. And so when someone would touch a dead body, they'd have to go through this whole ordinance of being cleansed with the ashes of the red heifer. It would be a reminder that death is abnormal. Death is not something that should have been in the human condition. Don't get used to death. Wonder about death. Um, uh, God isn't comfortable with death. There needs to be a solution to death. There needs to be a cleansing related to death. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate uh, conqueror related to death. But that's what it was supposed to um, uh, speak to people. Sometimes in our culture, you know, we kind of hide death. Uh, death, Dead bodies get put in certain vehicles and people typically die in certain environments, though, though hospice has changed a lot of that. And, um, and we keep death kind of hidden as much as we can in the culture. And, and, and so, but God comes in and says, no, I don't want it to be that way. I want people to think about death. I want them to wonder why it's happening, why, again, it's in the human condition. What is the answer to death? Who has, can conquer this enemy death for us? And this whole ordinance kept that in, in front of, of the minds of the people. Now, when they would apply the ashes of the red heifer, which would be placed some small amount of them in living water. Living water is stream water, water that moves, that's alive. And they would put it in there, and and then they would take a hyssop branch, and they would spray it on a person that had touched a dead body. That, That symbolized that they had been cleansed of their ceremonial 
uh, uncleanness related to uh, the, the touching of, of death, that the cleansing of the defilement of death. And this red heifer is a beautiful picture of Jesus, as we'll see uh, in just a moment. And, uh, it, and, and Jesus, though, doesn't, didn't come into the world to cleanse, ceremonially cleanse us from the defilement of death. Jesus came into the world. This is a shadow of him. He is the substance. He came into the world to conquer death itself, which is precisely what he did in his death, burial, and in his resurrection. So it's a, it's a beautiful picture uh, of uh, of all of this. Now, isn't it interesting when you think about the fact that God never intended for man to die? Do you realize if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned in the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam could be at our Bible study tonight. Eve could be at our Bible study tonight. This is really amazing to think think about. God never intended it to be the way uh, the way that it is, and so it reminded them of the defilement that. Uh, of death that was brought into uh, our human history because of sin. So this was the sacrifice. They were to bring uh, a red heifer, and uh, this is very, very unusual. Uh, Number one, we see he's very specific on the color of this heifer. It's to be red, not to be a brown. Uh, Remember, we think the chocolate milk came out of them when you were a kid. But it's not supposed to be a brown one. It's supposed to be black and white. I know there's technical names for all of this so but uh, it was to be a red uh, it was to be red which is the color of blood and uh, and and so as God spoke through Isaiah come now let us reason together says the Lord though your sins are like scarlet they shall be white as snow though they are red like crimson they shall be like wool and so he wanted a red heifer because this was dealing with a cleansing that was associated with death which is absolutely associated with sin so uh, again this brings us back to the great search for the red heifer Um, I mean you might drive down Highway 5 or 99. Is it 5 there where you hit those cows? Whew! Stinkerama. I mean, that's really bad, isn't it? Whew! I mean, it just goes on for miles now. It's getting worse by the year. Just think, well, there, there ought to be a, a red heifer in there somewhere. Well, apparently getting a red heifer is a little harder than we think. The rabbis, some Jewish rabbis say, well, when they're talking about a red heifer, they're not just saying in general it's, it's red. Can't, some of them teach, and this is kind of a prevailing view, they cannot have four hairs that are not red. They, if they hit a fifth hair, they got like uh, four white hairs on their body, and then you find a fifth one that's black. That's out. It's not a red heifer. Well, talk about a pretty tough standard. These rabbis make everything hard. Some of them do. So they're always trying to make this, find this red heifer. So it had to be red. had to be a heifer. This is unusual as a type or a picture of Jesus because a heifer is a female. And uh, so uh, most of the sacrifices that were offered to the Lord, uh, they were male. And uh, so perhaps this female sacrifice here speaks of Jesus' ability to give spiritual life through spiritual birth. As Jesus said, whosoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. Also, the heifer was to be without blemish. It was not to have any defects on it. You remember Jesus when he spoke to the religious leaders 
And he said, which of you convicts me of sin? And nobody could accuse him of any sin. He was without a spot, without any kind of blemish or defect. He's also to be an animal upon which a, a yoke has never come. In other words, this animal had not plowed out into the field. This was to be an animal or a creature that was completely dedicated to the service of the Lord and to uh, the things of the Lord. Never used for common purposes, never used for profane uh, purposes, just as Jesus declared concerning his own life. He said, I, for I always do those things that please him, that please the Father. So it's a beautiful picture uh, of uh, him. So the animal would then be delivered to Eliezer, who was Aaron's son, and we see some delegation of authority within the priesthood take him outside of the camp where the animal would then be sacrificed. We remember that Jesus was crucified outside of the temple area, outside of the, the city of Jerusalem uh, for our sins. Not only was he crucified, buried, and rose again in order to provide us with the forgiveness of sins, but also, as it relates to the red heifer, to provide us with a victory over death. doesn't matter. and Well, it matters, but it doesn't, it's, it's not a complete salvation if Jesus provides provides us with the forgiveness of sins, but there's no victory over death. So we live out our three score and ten or whatever it is, but we die and, and have, have no answer for death. But Jesus died on the cross outside of the camp to provide both for us. And so beautiful picture of the sin offering, but also of, of this sacrifice of, of the red heifer. And, and then uh, we're told in verse uh, for Eliezer the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger. He shall sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. And so he would, he would sprinkle this blood. And what that symbolized is that God was satisfied with this sacrifice. Um, and again, as we talk about it in terms of the red heifer and related to death, uh, Jesus, when he died upon the cross uh, for us, uh, the, uh, he provided a satisfaction for the Father, not only for the forgiveness of our sins, but a satisfaction that also would provide us with a, with a victory uh, over death, a cleansing of the defilement of death uh, in our lives. And so it's a very beautiful, beautiful picture. And so the heifer, um, verse 5, shall be burned in his sight, Eliezer's sight, its hide, its flesh, its blood, its offal shall be burned. It was complete, be completely consumed and reduced to ashes. The priest shall take cedar wood, and we saw these symbols when we looked at the, the uh, rite and ordinance that was given for the, the cleansing of the leper in the day of his uh, cleansing uh, earlier in the law, and uh, all of it a picture of Jesus, the cedar wood, uh, the hyssop, the scarlet. These things were to be cast in the midst of the fire uh, burning the heifer. And of course, the cedar wood speaks of Jesus' cross. Uh, the scarlet uh, red uh, thread spoke of, uh, speaks of his blood. And then the hyssop was the plant that they used to lift up a sponge with a, a drink to, to give to him while he was on the cross. And so part of the whole crucifixion scene. Again, Jesus, a, a picture, a foreshadowing of the fact that Jesus would come into the world not only to provide us with the forgiveness of sin, but with a victory over death. And then the priest shall wash his clothes 
and he shall bathe in water, and afterwards he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it, burns the red heifer, uh, shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. And so both the priest and the person that did the actual work uh, became unclean as a result of, of making this offering. And then a man who is clean, this different person comes on the scene, shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, so he puts them in some kind of a container, and then it was to be stored outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification it is for purifying from sin and the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer he shall wash his clothes be unclean until evening it is a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells uh, among them and he who touches the dead body so here's kind of an illustration of where they would need to apply these ashes of the red heifer, he who touches the dead body of anyone. Now, <laughs> they're, they're in a 40-year death march. Uh, they've got hundreds of thousands of people that are dying in the course of this, this death march through the wilderness. And uh, so coming into contact with dead bodies in their tents or dead bodies out in the field, this was a common uh, practice uh, for them. And so as he gives them the imagery here, this was a part of their kind of their daily life. So it, he who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean for seven days. And he shall purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he shall not be clean. In other words, purified with the ashes of the red heifer and the water. A person says, I touched a dead body, but I'm not going to do that red heifer bit. There's no way I'm not going to do it. Forget about it. Uh, I don't think it matters. He said, whoever touches the body of anyone who, here you've got there, but he who does not purify himself, he refuses to do that, then he will not be clean. And whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not, there's a refusal here, purify himself, he defiles the tabernacle of the Lord, that person shall be cut off from Israel, he shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him, his uncleanness is still on him. In the same way, if a person uh, refuses uh, to be uh, covered with Jesus' sacrifice, which the red heifer is a picture of that, then they will be separated from God's people for eternity. So you've got the, the, the shadow or the type that's, that's given here. Everyone needs their sins forgiven, and everyone needs an answer for death, and those things are only found in Christ. To refuse him is then to, de to de uh, essentially uh, establish the fact that I am not going in eternity where God's obedient people are going. This is the law when a man uh, dies in his tent, all who come into the tent and who, all who uh, are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. So whether they've touched the body or not, just proximity produced a, a ceremony uncleanness. Every open vessel of which they didn't put a lid on it uh, is unclean as a result of, of the death. 
And whoever in, in, whoever in an open field touches one who is slain by a sword or who has died or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean uh, seven days. And so, again, a lot of this going on, finding bodies all the time out there in the wilderness. So these people would need to be cleansed. And for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the red heifer, burnt for purification, forced from sin, and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. So here you are, you've touched a dead body. What they would do is they would get living water, running water, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit in scriptures. Jesus in John chapter 7 said, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me, and out of his innermost being will flow a torrent of living water. And, and this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, we're told in, in John, John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. So living water was stream water. It was anything other than a pond water, stagnant kind of water. So they would get water that would come from a stream, put it in a vessel, they would probably take a very small amount of this ashes of the red heifer, put it into the water, and then a clean person, verse 18, shall take hyssop, dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent, on all the vessels, on the persons who were there, or on the one who touched a bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave. And the clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, bathe in water, and at evening he shall be clean. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of purification has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. He has no answer for sin or for death, and neither do any of us apart from Christ. It shall be a perpetual statute for them. He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes, and he who touches the water of purification shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the person who touches it shall be unclean uh, until evening. This, again, careful handling of death, it reinforced uh, several very important things to God's people. It reinforced that death is an enemy of man. Death is not to be viewed as God's plan for man. Death is not to be ignored by man. Death is not to be something that we get used to as people. And death must be addressed and dealt with God's way. And so that's what all of this was saying to the children of Israel. It is what the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross for our sins communicates to man uh, even uh, today. I'm going to stop there. Chapter 20. Wow! So much in there. I don't want to open it up until we can really tear into it. It's kind of a sad chapter actually. A lot of death that goes on in there and a lot of difficulty and, and, and different things that happen but it's a real turning of a corner and it'll be something uh, good to look at the, the next time that we get.